For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody. It's Wednesday night, and it's about that time. You know how we do. It's another great episode of The West Coast Recess featuring your main man, Raider Rome, the silver and black king, the sports butler, my little brother's big brother. You know how it is. And as I tell you every Wednesday night, this is not a one-man operation, so I'm here rocking the airwaves with the one man that I trust, my good buddy Josh Matson there. He's going to run down his NASCAR spiel for you, and he's got some more exciting MLS action ready to get it going tonight. And, Kyle, with no further ado, take it away. The wait is finally over. Baseball season is here at last, and the excitement continues all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitments, just instant cash, instant gratification. Why wait until the end of the season to claim victory when you can win huge cash every day? At DraftKings, it's like a brand new season every time you play. Just select two pitchers and eight position players, stay under the salary cap, and you could be on your way to an enormous payday. Last year, Peter from Colorado won a million bucks at DraftKings in one day just playing fantasy baseball. Hundreds of thousands of fantasy sports fans just like you have already cashed in at DraftKings. Now it's your turn. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code SPREAKER to play for free. You could win part of $300 million in prizes being awarded this season. Use promo code SPREAKER for free entry now at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. All right, and that was a sponsored message from our new gang over at DraftKings. We'd like to welcome them to the fray, and and we're glad to have them. So without further ado, as I was saying, it's good to see you tonight, Josh. How have you been over the last week, my brother? I've been good. How, are you, how have you been, girl? Uh, I've been doing great, man. Just watching this baseball. I see the Dodgers, they're off to a pretty good start tonight. They lead San Diego 3-2. to two. So, I mean, I'm pretty happy about that. They get thunder. Oh, man, they caught a horrible beatdown at the hands of the Spurs. How are you feeling about their playoff chances now? I'm not feeling good. I don't. It might be better for them not to make the playoffs. To be honest with you, they they're not going anywhere even if they make the playoffs. Ibaka being out, Durant's not in. I mean, it might be better just to get a lottery pick. To be honest with you, that might be my opinion right now. But you know, it's always nice when your team makes the playoff, even if they're not deserving of being there. Probably. Well, I mean, when you think about it this way, I mean, who expected something like this to go down? The Thunder get a, um, a lottery pick just out of nowhere. But the Pelicans, yeah. after that performance tonight, they're trying their damnedest to give it away to them, getting beaten by 40 at Memphis. I don't know what was up with that. I mean, you saw the follow-up <laughs> a win over Golden State with another good performance. But uh, I guess that's why I'm not Monty Williams, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Phoenix is playing too. Uh, they're they're in the hunt, and I think when I saw they were losing to, I think they're playing Dallas. I don't remember they're playing Dallas. I think it was. So, uh, Phoenix anyway. is good. Yeah, they're, 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 those guys, they're just playing out the string. They just yeah. So we got a lot of good action here for you guys tonight. We're gonna talk a little bit about the Frozen Four, talk about the NHL races, and speaking of which. I've got a funny story um, involving the L.A. Kings a little bit later on for you guys. I mean, I know King fans are going to be highly pissed about it, just as I am, but it'll be fun to check out. Then we may talk a little bit about that Final Four tonight, but you know what we you know what we do for you every week. It's, it's a given. We got that MLS soccer for you. There was a lot more better action this week than there was last week. I mean, my Galaxy caught a beatdown, but we'll discuss that also. And... There's actually a, and there's a NASCAR race this weekend. <laughs> they took the Easter break off, but they're back, and Josh is here to lay down to you the top ten point standards so that you know who's got a shot at joining that chase. And without further ado, Josh, how is that race look? How is that chase looking so far? Well, right now, uh, so far, Kevin Harvick's been leading the show pretty much in NASCAR. Um, 
top two finishes. He leads the point standings. Joey Logano is second. Um, the surprise guy in the top five is Martin Truex Jr., a single-car team, 78-car uh, Furniture Row Motorsports has been running really good. Um, so, yeah, he's a surprise in the top three. Then you got Brad Keselowski, who has a win on the year. My favorite driver is in the top five, Casey Kane. Um, but, you know, out of the top five, Kevin Harvick has been dominating the Spring Cup Series right now. The other guys that you probably haven't heard much about so far this year, but they're running pretty good are Paul Menard in sixth, sixth place, Denny Hamlin, who won the last, the most previous race um, at Martinsville, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, is an eighth. Uh, well, I didn't mention Hamlin seventh, and then uh, Earnhardt Jr. is eighth. Eric Almarola, a little under the radar driver for Richard Petty Motorsports, he's a ninth. And uh, Jimmy Johnson is sitting in 10th in points right now. The next race coming up is at Texas Motor Speedway. Um, green flag is scheduled for 4.46 p.m. Pacific time on Fox. It's a 1.5-mile race. Um, last year's April winner was Joey Logano, and last year's November winner was Jimmy Johnson. Two races of the year at Texas. But the April winner last year was Logano. I wouldn't be surprised if he does win again this this year too. But I'll give you my prediction here in a minute. Uh, uh, I was about to ask you. Go ahead. <laughs> I do have a prediction, but I wanted to mention one thing first. Uh, there is uh, Front Row Motorsports. Uh, you, I know I mentioned number 34 car. David Reagan is the normal driver for the 34 car is driving for uh, Kyle Busch's 18 car for until Kyle Busch comes back, which might not be at all this year. They have, they've been trying to find, fill, fill the driver slot race to race. And this weekend, uh, Chris Boucher will be um, driving in that car. I have thought and thought about who I think is going to win at Texas. And I'm, I'm struggling to pick between Jimmy Johnson and Joey Logano <laughs> and Kevin Harvick. I have three, but, I'm just going to say, go out of limb here and just say, Joey Logano will win this weekend. Hey, you got to flip a coin. You got to flip a coin there. You got a lot of favorites for this match, for this race, huh? Yeah, the, between those three, and, you know, uh, other drivers who run really good there are Jeff Gordon and uh, Casey Kane. Any of the Hendrick cars would be an okay pick. Um, but who do, you, who do you like this weekend? Hmm. I'm going to go with Casey Kane this week. I don't know. For some reason, I've seen I've seen that name a couple of times this week, and I guess it's a no-man. I'm going to go with Casey. I like that pick. That's my favorite driver, so I'll root for you. <laughs> yeah, I still got it. I still got to catch you, Josh. You're up 2-1 right now. So, yeah, you know yeah. I'm going to try my best. That's cool. I mean, if you win this weekend, for sure. And you can find that, you can find that race, as Josh said earlier, at 4.46 p.m. Pacific on Fox. So, I mean, remember last week we were talking about the Final Four, and that team that you hate, they blasted Michigan State. <laughs> but yeah, how about how about those Wisconsin Badgers though taking out Kentucky? Man, I bet forty nine out of fifty states in America was happy about that one. I was one of those happy people. I can tell you that for sure. Um, yeah, um, I wasn't happy about Michigan State losing, but. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's all good. Well, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, the team, yeah, the team you hate the most, I mean, they got the job done. But, I mean, Duke, though, they're just one of those teams. They're just like a junior NBA type team, kind of like Kentucky, you know. But it seems like Coach K gets the more out of his players than Calipari does because he actually teaches them something instead of, say, come here for one year and just go straight to the NBA. So, I mean, Michigan State, they played hard. They jumped out to the 14 to 6 lead. But it's like once Duke figures you out, though, you're pretty much dead to rights. And that's kind of what happened to them in that game. Travis Trice and Brandon Dawson could really get nothing going. And once Tyus Jones got, got things going on, it was pretty much a tough break for Michigan State. They fell behind by 13 late in the half. They could actually get no closer than that. Duke smokes them by 20. And in that second game, man, Sam Decker, that guy, he was a grown man. He hit big shot after big shot every time Kentucky made the run. Although there was a bit of controversy in that game. With about two and a half minutes left, there was a shot clock violation on Nigel Hayes that should have been called. 
but he, they didn't call it. He gets the layup to tie the game at 60. And me, as a full-blooded Kentucky hater, I mean, I had no problem with it because, I mean, they've been ripping people off from, from the jump. Then Decker comes down and hits the big three to give Wisconsin a lead that they don't relinquish. And they get revenge and pull off possibly one of the biggest upsets in tournament history, 71-64, to 64, setting up that showdown between Wisconsin and Duke. And to me, in that championship game, it seemed like once Wisconsin got that nine-point lead, they, they thought they were going to cruise. But, you know, when, when you're dealing with a Coach K team, it's never that easy, you know. They're going to always fight back at you. And they did it with a, from a completely almost unknown source, a freshman named Grayson Allen. I mean, that guy hasn't really done anything this year. And he came through with big plays to get Duke back in the game until Jaleel Okafor was ready to return. And once he did, he put that match away with the grown man move, getting the hand one on Kaminsky to give Duke the four-point lead. And they pretty much ran away after that. They win the national championship 68-63 to over Wisconsin. I mean, the bad Badgers, you had a great season. I mean, you'll always be – everybody will always love you for beating Kentucky. But it seems to me like you just laid down after that game. You didn't care. You felt, hey, we're the real champs. And congratulations again to Coach K, fifth championship. You got anything you want to add to this, um, Josh? The, the kid, Grayson Allen, took over that game in the, uh, the second half. It was crazy to watch. Uh, freshman. Um, he played good. And uh, Justice Winslow took over on the on the defensive board. I think that was part of the big difference. Uh, Okafor started playing a little bit better in the second half versus the first. Uh, it was nice. At the end of the day, it was nice to see Coach K get up. because he he isn't he isn't that bad of a guy to be honest with you. I just something about Duke's always bothered me. But at the end of the day, Duke was the better team and won the game. Uh, Kaminsky played good, of course, and Decker played good. But Wisconsin just they just didn't get it done when it matters, and that's really how it's how you win titles. You got to play good in the in the last quarter of a championship game, and they didn't do it. So. Uh, it's a learning experience for Wisconsin. I mean, they haven't won a title in forever. I think it was 40, I don't know, like 40s or something. I don't remember. But anyways, a long time ago, they had a shot. They, they let it slip away. But Duke is, was the better team on that day. So they are the champ. Yeah, that they are. I mean, interesting stat here. Wisconsin went ahead 48-39 with 13 minutes and 25 seconds left. Until they were on a little five-run flurry, I mean a five-point flurry late in the half, they had only had ten points after that. Man, talk about championship lockdown defense. Man, Duke did to Wisconsin in a way kind of what they did to Kentucky, you know. And yeah. I know I know, how you, I know how you feel about Duke because, I mean, Kentucky's not one of my favorite teams either, you know. Then after the game, you have Andrew Harrison using controversial statements. I'll just leave it at that. I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard what he said by now. So, well, it's true. I have to worry about that. To be honest, yeah, and that happens too. Um, so, yeah. At the end of the day, I'm glad Kentucky lost. So, <laughs> anyways. Uh, yeah, well, everybody did. I mean, Calipari Cal- is one of those guys that you don't want to see get a perfect season because then you'd never, you'd never get them off your television or off your radio, you know. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. I-, I-, I hope people don't want to get us off their radio, but, yeah, you definitely don't want Calipari on your radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then uh, last night, women's game, UConn won their, well, Oriana won his 10th title last night. It just never stops with UConn women. They're going to, I don't see them not winning another title next year, probably. <laughs> yeah. those, those, those ladies are exactly what's wrong with college basketball these days, you know? Yeah. It's not, women's basketball doesn't seem to be like men's basketball where you can spread the talent out. It seems like everybody wants to go to UConn and there's no competition. I mean, Notre Dame's a decent team, but when they play UConn, it seems like they're the Washington Generals, so to speak. You know? Yeah. So, but I, I think there's, I think, I think there's a benefit to having a team like that. It gives a reason for people to actually. I think people watch because they want to see if UConn can get beat. So it gives a reason for people to watch. You know, watching Notre Dame try to beat them the other night. I think, I think it's good for women's basketball because I don't think there's enough talent in the talent pool for to fill up teams with a bunch of talented women on all the teams. So I think it helps to have certain teams like Baylor, Duke, uh, Duke was good too, and UConn, Tennessee, you know, those typical winners of women's basketball. 
Well, I say, if there's another Brittany Griner around somewhere, hopefully she doesn't go to UConn and and, yeah. do, and women's basketball could be a little bit more competitive. You know, I, I'm sick. I'm sick of this whole UConn deal myself. Then Gino Ariema has the nerve to talk about how bad the men's game is. You get eight McDonald's girls All-Americans every year, and you've got the nerve to say that, that something's wrong with their game? No, your game is what's wrong with, with what's going on. You know? Yeah. Um, no, I, mean, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that I think the shot clock is a major issue in men's, men's basketball, or college basketball, I should say. But anyway. Well, yeah. Well, this is me. I say cut. I say um, cut the shot clock down to thirty next season. Give the players more offensive possessions. Their score to go up, and try to have some kind of clarification on this freedom of movement rule that they have. You know, because I mean, it confuses the referees also. You don't know what a foul is and what's not a foul. And Bo Ryan himself, he was pretty pissed about that. So I, I'm, I hope they get that together because the college game is actually better than the NBA game at times. But over the last couple of years, it has gotten kind of bad and watered down. So if they can fix that, things will get a lot better. And that was our college basketball rant. I mean, I enjoyed the Final Four. I hope you guys did too. And – you won't hear us say anything about college basketball again until probably October. <laughs> and so yeah. moving moving on here, we've got a little footy for you here. Last week was our first week of our MLS beat. We had a lot going on there. There was a lot of interesting games. And there was actually a pretty interesting team that made us laugh. And it continued on again this week. Those Colorado Rapids. They hosted the New England Revolution at Dick Sporting Goods Park, and they fell short 2-0. to zero. In the 18th minute, Juan Agudelo scored his first goal of the season for the Revolution off of a nice assist by Kellen Rowe and off of some nice footwork by Agudelo beating Clint Irwin. And this was the first conceded goal of the season by the Rapids. They had done their 0-0 thing over the last three games or so, and New England was the first one to beat them. And in the 54th minute, USA player Charlie Davies, he beats Jared Watts to the left-hand side of the box, and he, he pulls him and he pulls Davies to the ground and gets a penalty kick called. And Lee Wynn steps up, takes the penalty, and completely fools Clint Irwin low into the left-hand side of the goal. He actually made this one look pretty easy, and it put the Reds up 2-0. Colorado, as you know, these guys are very horrible offensively. They had one breakaway opportunity with Dominique Badgie in the 72nd minute. He But he took his breakaway opportunity and hit the near post, and that was probably the last and only real scoring opportunity for the Rapids during this game. Although, interesting enough, they led in time of possession, but it never seemed like they were a threat to score, just like any other game they've played so far this season. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Man, even the Badgie attempt was terrible looking. They're, the Rapids, however, they're now on 10 hours of football without a goal. And this is currently the fourth longest streak in MLS history. They're also now on an 18-game winless streak, which ties them for the MLS record with Real Salt Lake in 2004-2005, which is rather interesting to me because I thought Chivas USA would have a, a streak like that. Those guys were terrible. <laughs> um, from what I take away from this game is Colorado, they could possess the ball rather well, they just struggled to generate scoring chances in their opponent's half of the field. And the win for the Revolution brings them back to 500 at 2-2-1 two, two and one, and seven points and moves them in the third in the Eastern Conference. I know you're a big-time Reds fan, Josh. What, what do you have on this match? Uh, I wasn't all that surprised when them finished the Revolution were the favorites in they, um, they outplay, I mean, they outplayed Colorado in their end. Um, that's how they got two goals, and Colorado was a little too physical in the, in the box and got themselves called for a penalty. And uh, Lee went just, you know, he just put it, <laughs> and it was a beautiful shot, and there was no way uh, it was going to stop by Erwin. So, yeah, uh, the Revolution was supposed to win this game, so I'm not surprised by the outcome. Uh, the Revolution needs to get three points on teams like Colorado, teams who aren't able to score, which has been Colorado's issue so far this year. Colorado's, I think, now 10th in the Western Conference, dead last. So they desperately need a win <laughs> or, or some kind of point. 
So I don't know. <laughs> and now time for the million dollar question, Josh. Will the Colorado Rapids score a goal at any point this season? <laughs> oh yeah, they're going to score a goal, and it's probably going to be next game. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know who's going to score for them, but they're they're going to score a goal, I'm sure. I mean, I don't play much soccer, but I mean, I think I can get out there and give it a go just to see, just to see if I can get get on the board for them. I'll go give it a try. <laughs> you go out there and try out. They might let you play. <laughs> All right, on to a, on to a more competitive match here. We had the Seattle Sounders and the Houston Dynamo getting it on at CenturyLink Field, Seattle, Washington, where the Sounders got a 1-0 victory off of an Obafemi Martin's goal with an assist by Clint Dempsey after a terrible touch turnover by Ricardo Clark of the Dynamo. Martins made Jermaine Taylor look silly with a spin move, and with a beautiful shot to the right corner, he put the goal past Tyler Derrick of the Dynamo. In the 56th minute, Gonzalo Pineda of the Seattle Sounders got a red card for a high kick to the chest of Ricardo Clark. Sounds like some um, karate kid-type nonsense there. <laughs> but like, Yeah, it, it was definitely a high kick, but I don't think it was deserving of the yellow, uh, the red card. It's probably yellow is what it should have been. But anyways, go on. Yeah, it was probably incidental. But you know how it is with them referees. They got to try to keep order. You know? Yeah. But after that, though, the Sounders, they played with 10 men the remainder of the match and were able to hold on for the 1-0 win. I mean, I guess that's a testament to their defense. Houston was out playing Seattle before the Pineda red card. Just that sloppy turnover by Clark cost them the game. Houston completed an impressive 80% of their passes and maintained possession for 54.7% of the game. They actually outshot Seattle 15-5. to And Seattle, man, they should feel fortunate to have walked away with three points from this game. Their defense of Mears, Remick, Marshall, and Evans was their sole saving grace, and they actually cleared the ball away 37 times. Not a bad defensive performance. This win for Seattle puts them at 2-1-1 one, and one on the year, and they have now gotten seven points. They move in the fifth in the West, whereas Houston, they dropped to ninth in the West, and they're now 1-2-2, two, and two, and Houston will take on Montreal Saturday. That's a win that they must likely have to have to stay in this West race. What's your takeaway from this match, Just? Um, you pretty much cover, uh Well, the turnover was the biggest uh, by Ricardo Clark. Was, it was a... Terrible turnover and uh, um, uh, Pineda just you know he just put it in the back of the net and and they made a, tur- a bad turnover uh, into a goal and that's that's usually what happens in soccer is is usually a, this one blunder that ends up costing a team a game they really should have walked away it should have been a tie game they should have walked away with a point but uh, they let it slip away so how it ended up. Yeah, you know, soccer is one really, really fickle game. It'd be that way sometimes. Then now on to my team, the L.A. Galaxy at the Vancouver Whitecaps. This game took place up at the B.C. place where Vancouver dominated the game 2-0. to They opened the scoring in a 56-minute with Kakuta Mana's first goal of the season. He was the, ML, the MLS player of the March. Octavio Rivera scored his fourth goal in five games for the Whitecaps in the 66th minute all but ending any chance for an L.A. Galaxy comeback. The Galaxy, they were outmatched badly in this game. Jaime Pinedo's seven saves pretty much kept it somewhat competitive. Otherwise, this could have gotten a lot worse. The Whitecaps, they made the Galaxy defense look very exposed, and they were out of position many times in this game. The possession was actually fairly even, although the Whitecaps managed 18 shots and nine on goal. The Galaxy only had six shots and one on goal. And to this point, I mean... They're eagerly waiting to the Liverpool season ends over there in the Premier League so that they can get Steven Gerrard out here on the field. Gerrard is quoted as being said, he's leaving Liverpool for the LA Galaxy so that he can win himself some trophies. And and he's come to the right place, in my opinion. I mean, we've got the MLS Cup, and he can only help us get another one. But as of now, the Galaxy, they have a lot of work to do. They've lost two in a row, and they've dropped to eighth in the West. They have a very important game with their rival, the Seattle Sounders, on Sunday evening. Vancouver is now first in the West with 12 points, and they are currently taking on the Columbus um, crew as we speak. Yes, you and they yeah. are, they're losing that game, actually. Uh, right now, Columbus just scored a goal to make it 2-1. to one. So, Vancouver, the 
the MLS leaders in points are currently losing to Columbus. So that is a good good thing for the uh, all the teams in the West that they're losing right now. So um, unless you're a Vancouver fan, of course, that's not good. But um, well, we know. Well, you know, I'm not a Vancouver fan. I mean, the Canucks are already. Yeah, yeah. Nah, no, I can't get down with the Whitecaps. I've actually never seen them play before. Actually, <laughs> okay. So it, it, yeah, but as far as this, man, your team was out of play. They were. They just didn't look like they were. Tomato looked out of place. He played okay, but I think <laughs> he played okay in goal, but their defense couldn't. It's like they were just getting burnt time and time again. I, I don't know. It, it looked bad, but I think I think uh, I think the Galaxy just they just they just need a little bit of time. I think they'll get things together. That's how they usually do things, anyways. And they get better throughout the year and get better into the playoffs when it matters. So. But so you, like, you don't want to get too far behind if you're the Galaxy. That's the one thing they need to try to avoid. Yeah, because the West is top-heavy, so you really can't afford yeah. to get off to a slow start too much. I mean, the same as to me when I watch the Galaxy, like they're still on a bit of an MLS Cup hangover, you know. And once Robbie King gets fit and he gets himself back into the swing of things, it'll get a lot better for the Galaxy. This is not a team that I'm going to write off just yet. They they can get back up. They can get it back and up to our next match here, we've got the Portland Timbers taking on FC Dallas at Providence Park in Portland, where the Timbers took a 3-1 to one victory. That Borchers scored his first goal of the season. Hey, that guy kind of looks like Daniel Bryan from the WWE, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He absolutely does. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But what a beautiful yeah, header. He I'll continue. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, he well, Borchers, he got his first goal off of the season with a beautiful header off of Jorge Villafano's corner to put the Timbers up one nil. But however, six minutes later, last year's MLS Rookie of the Year, Tesho Akindeli, scored to bring the score even at one. But in the 62nd minute, Maxine Rudy fired the go fired the ball past goalie Sykes to give the Timbers a two to one lead at that point. It seemed like that was all they needed for victory, but in the 87th minute, Diego Chara a day before his birthday, scores a breakaway goal, beating the SC Dallas defense is actually usually pretty well aware, giving the Timbers some insurance and a pretty well-needed birthday present for himself and giving Portland a 3-1 to one victory. This game was pretty much a close contest until that mental lapse by FC Dallas in the 87th minute, and that put the game away. Portland currently moves in the seventh place with that victory, and they'll have a matchup with Orlando Sunday afternoon. FC Dallas has lost, Drops them out of first place in the West, and they are now currently trailing the aforementioned Vancouver Whitecaps in the standings. Dallas will take on Colorado Friday night, which is good for them. Maybe they can get themselves a one nil, two nil victory because we know the Colorado can't score worth a lick. <laughs> <laughs> actually, now that you bring it up, Colorado actually might not score this weekend. <laughs> to be honest with you, Dallas has got one of the best defenses in uh, MLS, so yeah, they may not score this weekend. <laughs> I mean, it would be a shock if they actually get the ball pass midfield for them five times this match. But, I mean, Dallas, they got that defense, man. They they play kind of like how the Ravens did in the 2000s, but that's neither here nor there. That's another story. And Colorado, you're probably cruising for another beatdown. <laughs> yeah. So you got any takeaways from this match that you wanted to add? I was impressed by Portland, how they, they controlled the game. Uh they definitely were good with possession of the ball. Um, the thing with being in Dallas, a team like Dallas, is they Dallas relies more on defense. And Portland, just, they attacked their defense, and they actually got through, which was unusual for uh, Dallas. They don't usually allow blunders like happened this weekend. Uh, it was a big win for Portland because they needed it. Um, I think they're, what are they, seventh now? In the Western They're currently so, yeah. So they needed that win, and they need more wins because it. You don't want to stay below that top six line because it's just it's scary down there. Even if we're only what six games in the season for most teams right now. So, but it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like the NFL. It's not some the bottom is somewhere you don't want to be at any point of the season. You know, so they got to pick it up. Yeah, and Portland plays Orlando next this coming. Sunday, I think. So that should be a game they can win. So that's good for them. Uh, 
Yeah, so like I said, Colorado plays Dallas this weekend, so you might be right on the score and saying it might it might go on. So uh, up next here we have ourselves a local game here. The San Jose Earthquakes took on Real Salt Lake at the Fire Stadium here in San Jose. Salt Lake went in and stole three points on the road with a one zero victory. In the forty fourth minute, Javier Morales took a free kick about thirty yards outside the box. He didn't even and he didn't get it over the San Jose wall. But in a rather fortunate event, the ball came right back to Morales. He took another shot and put it right past David Bingham for a 1-0 Real Salt Lake lead. And that was pretty much all they needed to hang on and get the 1-0 victory. San Jose actually controlled much of the possession in this game with 52.7% of the action. But their goal, but San Jose, I mean, but Salt Lake goalie Nick Raimondo came up big with two saves for Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake pretty much won this game because they were a better, better tackling team and they were more physical to the ball. Next up for Real Salt Lake is a matchup with Sporting Kansas City on Saturday. And for those of you in the football world, you remember Chad Ochocinco actually won, at one point tried out for Sporting Kansas City. Real Salt Lake actually did move into third place with this victory, and now they have eight points in the West after four games played. San Jose, however, fell to six in the Western Conference with six points after five plays. San Jose takes on the current West leader, Vancouver, on Saturday night. And your thoughts on this match, Josh? Uh, Salt Lake won because, um, as you mentioned, they were they were physical and they got they got a lot away with a lot of the physical play that they they did. So they didn't get carded too often. So it worked to their advantage. Uh, it was kind of a bad loss for San Jose at home. I think that's the game they were expecting to at least walk away with a tie. Um, so I think it was disappointing for San Jose. The one thing that I do want to mention about this stand, and we've been mentioned where everyone is, is there's a lot of teams that have only played four games, and then there are some teams that played six. So the fans are a little bit skewed, but but right now what we're telling is uh, is where they are. But some of these teams, like uh, uh, example, like Portland, it's only played four games after five games. So you know. I'm just breaking that up to make sure our listeners know that some of these teams have played less games so that the points may look a little bit different later in the season. Yeah, it all even out at the end, so nobody's out of it yet. So just, just go on a little high street and you're right back in the race. And this was our weekly um, MLS beat. We'll be back next week with some more exciting MLS action for you like we will have for the rest of the season. Man, it was, this week was a, the action seemed to be a lot better than last week, though, Josh. I mean, last week, yeah. it seemed like we were talking about a lot of 0-0 zero, zero games. And we were kind of falling asleep ourselves, you know? Uh, the, I want to bring up Columbus and Vancouver game is now tied at 2-2. Darren Maddox just scored a goal for Vancouver to his second of the season, so the score is now 2-2. Two two. Wow, the Whitecaps ain't ready to give up that West Coast lead yet. They were down 2-1, and they fought back, and they tied this matchup. And now since we've hit kind of the midway point of our weekly get-together, I mean, I don't like to call it a job. It's a weekly get-together with me, you, and a lot of great people, and we're having ourselves a good old time like we always do. I want to take this time to let you all know that next Thursday night, April 16th, we will have our NFL draft preview here on the NGSC Sports Network. I, Raider Rome, will be handling the AFC West, and my main man, Josh, He'll have the NFC West for you. It should be fun. There'll be a few trades in there, I'm sure. You know, who will Jameis Winston stay number one? Will Mariota jump him? And those Oakland Raiders, they're always tricky. Will they stick with the status quo, or will they make a move that blows your mind? You have to tune in to find out. Next Thursday night, 830 Eastern, be here on the NGSC. It's going to be one hell of a time, and we can't do it without you. Come on down, check it out. You'll love it. You pretty excited about that, Josh? I am, but I was looking over today, and I just realized that I don't pick Seattle because they created their pick away the same. So I have one less pick than the majority of y'all, so I guess I'm just going to deal with that. <laughs> well, uh, you get more time to kind of analyze and just sit back and chill, you know? That's right. Have your, yeah, have your popcorn ready. I mean, this is kind of – but the Seahawks, though – they did, they did pretty good for themselves with that first-round draft pick, picking up um, Jimmy Graham. Now it's a lot better for Russell Wilson. And Seattle's offense has gotten a hell of a lot better. Yeah, 
I was, you know, I read an article, one, one Sports Illustrated writer was saying that it was a bad trade for Seattle. And they said that Graham being on the Seattle doesn't improve their team because <laughs> he doesn't have confidence in Wilson getting him in the ball downfield. His thinking is that everyone's going to double team Graham now, and they're, they still have the same, you know, Baldwin and Kurt and um, that Matthews guy who showed up in the Super Bowl. They're just going to single cover those guys, and now they're going to double cover Graham. So, I don't know. I guess it's kind of illogical to say that maybe Graham might not be as effective as you would think. <laughs> hey, well, they still have um, Marshawn Lynch also. So, I mean, well, yeah, they have offense, it, it'll, it'll be better than it was last season. You know? They're still one of the yeah. best teams in the NFC West, but that's neither here nor there at this, at this moment. <laughs> It'll be inter- it'll be interesting to see how they look going forward. There's still a lot of good free agents out there, but you got to wait. But they're trying to probably wait until June first to get them a little cheaper. Yeah, yeah. And now we had the final four earlier tonight. Now we're going to talk about something a little different here. We've got ourselves the Frozen Four from the NCAA hockey tournament. We've got Boston University taking on North Dakota at 5.30 p.m. Pacific tomorrow on ESPN2. And both of these teams, they seem to be fixtures in the Frozen Four. Boston, they've been, this is their 22nd appearance, whereas North Dakota, this is their 21st. Boston University, interesting enough, was picked sixth in the conference by Hockey East coaches because they were the youngest team this season in college hockey under their second-year coach, David Quinn. But, however, those feisty terriers, they have 17 more wins than they had last season. Aki Oxenen actually shares the team leading goals, and he played defense last year, kind of a Drew Doughty kind of situation with the L.A. Kings. You got defensemen scoring all over the place. And BU, they played four freshman defensemen in their, defensemen in their typical lineup. They actually have four 20-goal scorers also. They're the only team in the country with more than two. They actually have a guy that I'm sure you like a lot there, Josh, Jack Eichel. He seems to be the top American pros- prospect this season for the 2015 NHL draft and he's going to most likely go no lower than number two. He leads the NCAA with 66 points in 36 games, and he does appear a lot to win the Hobie Baker Award, which is college hockey's version of the Heisman. They also have junior Matt Grizzlick from Charlestown, Massachusetts. He grew up minutes from the TD Garden, where his father works on the Bull Gang. This dynamic offensive defenseman has 10 goals all since January the 30th. And their goalie, Matt O'Connor, is also being pursued by over a dozen NHL teams, and he owns a 9.28 save percentage as well as a 22-3-4 record and a 2.12 goals against the average. Man, Boston seems like a pretty tough team there, wouldn't you say, Jeff? Oh, Boston's a, well, North Dakota. And see, to me, this <laughs> this game is the Boston-North Dakota game is the, really the championship game, but... I'm not ruling out Providence and Nebraska Omaha, the winner of beating either of these teams. I'm just saying, to me, this is what I would expect the title game to be. Um, BU is really young, I think. Um, and North Dakota, they're, they're, they're full of, you know, uh, veterans. People have been playing uh, in college for a while, but you're going to cover North Dakota here in a second. Um, I love BU, and I'm from that area, and I've always rooted for BU and BC, to be honest with you. I, I never chose a school over the other. To me, I just enjoy watching them play each other because it was always competitive. Um, Jack Eichel is the star of BU, and he he's going to be the he's going to be the guy that's going to need to step up to beat North Dakota because North Dakota is, like I said, full of veterans and people who've been there, done that. Um, North Dakota had a tough loss last year, and I think they're ready to um, make up for that. So go, um, yeah. So go ahead with North Dakota. Yeah, when I think of North Dakota, actually the first thing that comes to my mind is our guest that we had on last week, Jamie Council. You know, she's a big yeah. time North Dakota fan, and they lost last year, as she said, on a shorthanded goal in the semifinals against Minnesota. They came back determined to return to the Frozen Four, and they are the only team returning to the field. So it's kind of like with Wisconsin in the NCAA. You know, they had a goal, they got back there. Sixteen players on this UND team played in that semifinal loss last year to Minnesota. 
And these players are currently the only players in the field with Frozen Four experience. Zane McIntyre, their goalie, is a Hobie Baker nominee also. He went 29-9-3 on the year with a 9.31 save percentage. He was actually previously known as Zane Doffler, but he adopted his mother's maiden name to honor her and his late grandmother prior to the season. They have the general, Stefan Patton. He's a hard-nosed forward who's played 12 more NCAA games than any other player in the Frozen Four, and he'll bring his leadership and his experience. First-round NHL picks Jordan and Nick Schmaltz are the only pair of brothers remaining in the tournament, and they're very talented in their own right. North Dakota, as I, they're kind of like the Kentucky of this tournament. They have 14 NHL draft picks playing for them currently. This is going to be a battle of youth and experience in North Dakota versus Young and Town at Boston University. Um, it's going to be hard for me. It's kind of an even match. I'm going to enjoy watching it. And since Jamie's part of the team, I'm going to go ahead and go with North Dakota along with my um, seizing aversion for anything Boston. What's your prediction there, Josh? Kyle, hold on, man. Uh, go ahead, because I think it's starting to hail. I need to check something out quick. <laughs> All right. Weather issues over there in Josh in Josh's town. Our next matchup, we've got Nebraska-Omaha versus Providence at 2 p.m. Pacific here on ESPN2. Nebraska-Omaha, they're the baby of this tournament. They're making their first appearance in the Frozen Four, whereas Providence is also kind of making their fourth appearance. So let, let's go. Let's go here with the youngins. Nebraska-Omaha was picked sixth in this conference. They jumped out quickly to a 6-1-1 start behind the play of its 18 freshmen and sophomores. But they do have senior leadership, their senior goaltender, Ryan Massa. They entered the NCAA tournament on a 2-6-3 skid, but they outscored their regional opponents, Harvard and RIT, 8-1. They are the third youngest team in Division I. Only Penn State and Robert Morris are newer than them. And... UNO hasn't won a tournament game in two previous appearances before this year. So they finally started to get their act together. <clears throat> and as we said previously, Nebraska-Omaha does have 18 freshmen and sophomores on their roster. They're currently tied for the most among NCAA tournament teams. And third most. Oh, he was the 2002-2013 USHL Rookie of the Year. His father, Mike, is the current associate head coach at Minnesota. Austin Ortega's 11-game-winning goals set a, a single-season NCAA record. Avery Peterson, one of the nine Minnesotans on this roster, was the state's Mr. Hockey last year. Oh, pretty interesting. We've got ourselves another Peterson from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm back, by the way. I, I, I heard hail, and I wanted to make sure my car wasn't getting destroyed. So... <laughs> All right, welcome back, Josh. As long as you didn't get struck by the lightning, man, we all good. Yeah, good. <laughs> all right. I haven't seen Nebraska-Omaha play too much this season, and I didn't even know how young they were until watching them in the NCAA tournament. I can undoubtedly say this is a talented team who is being embraced favorably in Omaha, which normally isn't hockey. Um, they're not usually much of a hockey background. With that uh, said, with that said, Providence, though, they were probably supposed to be here. And now, without further ado, let's give you a little bit of a rundown on Providence here. They returned the majority of their team last season, They and they were the preseason favorite in Hockey East. But they did get off to a bit of a slow start at 4-5-1. and one. They're led by their junior goaltender, John Gillies, who went 28-1 and one and allowed less than two goals per game. Ross Mowerman was a recruited walk-on in head coach Nate Lehman's first season, and he promptly led Providence in scoring each of the next three seasons. His co-captain is Noel Akiari. Junior Trevor Mendola is a transfer from Union College. We heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Nate Lehman recruited him prior to his move to Providence. Don't worry about it, listeners. The whole Union thing is an inside joke. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a side joke. Many of Mingola's former teammates and Lehman's former players won the national title with Union last season. So I'm going to have to say Providence, they should be the overwhelming favorite in this game just because they were expected to be here. Nebraska-Omaha, they're pretty much playing with house money at this point. And I'd have to say in the college hockey community, everyone's kind of rooting for them. I'm going to go ahead and go for Omaha myself, and my prediction will be Nebraska-Omaha taking on North Dakota in the national championship game Saturday night at 4.30 Pacific on ESPN. 
you got yourself do you have yourself a prediction there, Josh? Yeah, sorry. I miss I didn't give a prediction for the BU in uh North Dakota, so I'll go ahead and do that. Um I think BU I I'm actually going the exact opposite of you. I think BU is gonna win this game. I think I think everyone thinks they're a more talented team than North Dakota and they have a lot of young talents and I think that's I think people are expecting BU to win. So and I want BU to win anyway, so I'm gonna pick BU. Um in the other game I think Providence is the team that's supposed to be here. And the, everyone was expecting Providence to be in the title game this year. So they had a pretty disappointing year, uh, especially at the start. They were like 4-5-1 and one at the start, and, and everyone was counting them out. But um, Providence is – see, I, I didn't know much about Nebraska Omaha coming into this game other than uh, just, you know, a couple of YouTube videos I'd seen. So – but I watched a lot of videos on them, and they do look talented, and they are certainly capable of beating Providence. Providence hasn't played like the team everyone was expecting to play this year. But at the end of the day, I do think Providence is going to win that game. I think it's going to be BU and Providence. And I guess that game's going to be on the 11th at 4.30 Pacific on ESPN. And I guess we need to pick a title winner, don't we? So we mm. need to work. Well, in that matchup, I would love to see North, I mean, Nebraska Omaha win the game. Because me, I'm a sucker for um, newbies. You know, it's kind of would be like a 12 or 13 seed winning the NCAA basketball tournament. But at this point, North Dakota, there's too much, there's just too much NHL talent, too much experience. I want to say that North Dakota gets the championship with a 4-2 win over Nebraska Omaha. They play with, they play with heart. They fight hard. They just don't have the talent. Your prediction? Yeah. My well, in my title game, my granted, I don't know if the actual title game is going to be, but I'm saying it's Boston Providence. So Boston has uh, BU's dominated Providence all year, and um, I think BU will win that game. But I wouldn't be shocked because a lot of times in these types of things, uh, the team that's been dominated throughout the year by the other team ends up winning the the game that really matters, and that's the championship. But BU, to me, is going to win that game. Um, in your theoretical title game, I would probably pick North Dakota for sure in that game. So, But BU and Providence in that game, I'm, I'm going with BU. Yeah, well, BU and Providence played in your title game. I would probably go with Boston in that one just because Jack Eichel, I mean, his name's been everywhere. He's probably the top American prospect that we have right now. And as you said, Boston has pretty much been dropping beatdowns on Providence all season long. So why should this be any different? I'd say Boston will win that game probably three to two. Jack Eichel will be the MOP, and he goes on to get a high draft pick in this year's draft. Yeah, I agree. And that was our NCAA hockey beat. You can check out the Frozen Four tomorrow at two and five thirty Pacific on ESPN, and the championship game Saturday night at four thirty Pacific. And next up here, we have the Masters. We've got the return of Tiger Woods here. He set the tee off at 1048 Pacific time on Thursday. He'll be paired with Jamie Donaldson and Demi Walker. Tiger Woods is actually currently 104th in the world. He's played horrible golf so far this year. In the first tournament of the season, he finished even a tie for 17th with Hunter Mahan at the Hero World Challenge in Isleworth, Florida, a tournament hosted by Tiger Woods himself. But that's not even the worst part. There were only 17 golfers in this tournament. Well, I'm just finishing. <laughs> I mean, even does seem pretty decent in a golf tournament until you look and see that Jordan Spieth, the winner, went 26 under par, and he was 26 shots ahead of Tiger. At the TPC Scottsdale tournament, Tiger had a 155 over two days and actually missed a cut. And then at the Farmer Insurance Open in San Diego, he withdrew from the tournament for back pain. But, however, it, so far at the Masters, like the little pre-game runs in front of us, the part three tournament and things of that nature, he hasn't been seen dancing around on the course, and he looks ready to compete. The last time Tiger won the Masters was 10 years ago. A realistic outlook for Tiger this week will probably be making the cut. He's been getting rest, and that, that's good for him. But I don't seriously think he can win this tournament with his performances so far this season. How do you feel about Tiger's chances to this point, Joshua? Um... I think you said it. Um, Tiger Woods 
um, best case scenario is he'll make the cut. Um, I don't believe tires that are finished below 40 is in the Masters, and I doubt that he will again this year, but I really think he needs to say making the cut because no one knows how his back's going to hold up through this tournament because it's been bothering him pretty much all year. So, uh, look, if he's in contention to win this title uh, at the end of the on Sunday, then that would be very impressive for him, I think, if he was even in the top top 10 going into the last phase of the tournament. So um, I wouldn't count him out if he was in the top 10 going into the last day, but he is not, no one's expecting him to be, to be, you know, in contention. I think everyone's expecting him maybe to make the cut. And that's what they're all the expectation is for him right now at the moment. Mm-hmm. So do you have a prediction here for this match? I mean, for this tournament, you think Bubba Watson a repeat, or do you have someone else wearing the green jacket this time around? Um, well, the, there's a lot of guys that I think everyone, like Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Bubba Watson, uh, Steve Walker, Jimmy Walker. Uh, I think Steve's gonna win because he's just he's the he's the new new young talent on the on the PGA Tour. Uh, and he's been playing good too. He's been playing good for the better part of about a year now. So, uh, yeah, I'm taking Drew Rinsky to win is my prediction. Um, but Rory McIlroy is the favorite for sure. I don't know who you're picking, but uh, Rory is trying to you know complete the career Grand Slam, winning the Masters, and he's won you know all the big tournaments. So, anyways, uh, who's your prediction to win the Masters? Well, my heart is always with Tiger. I hope he does perform well, but I don't see him being much of a challenge past Saturday. He'll make the cut. He'll come up just a bit short. And I see Rory McIlroy getting the win in this Masters, getting the green jacket, and completing the career Grand Slam. It means too much to him right now, and he's ready to get the job done. One bad hole last year will not derail McIlroy this season, and I'm going with him to get that green jacket. Yeah, uh, I saw him in the interview today. He looked. He said he's been working on his uh, speed on the putting green. Been his main concern. Uh, this going into the Masters, I think. Um, I don't think he has anything to worry about. Really, his game seems to be fine from what I've seen over the last two months or so. He's he's playing good golf, uh, but I like that he's working on stuff still because that's what winners do. Is they never stop trying to get better at something. So, Yeah, Matt Farley would be a great choice, and you're probably going to be the winner. Uh, you're probably going to get the right pick here. But. Uh, well, if I get that win, then I got something else to rub in your face. I mean, you got me right now in the NASCAR. You get me? Yes, sir. Um, before, yeah. uh, go ahead, Josh. Oh, no, go ahead. Man. You got this. All right. Now, before we go tonight, we have one. We have a new thing that we we want to lay out for you guys here. We have just our completely random thought of the day. Just some crazy things that happened over the over the week in the West, and we'd like to share that with you. And without further ado, I'd like for you to begin, Josh. What's your random thought of the day? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if you saw that athletic circus from Brett Laurie the other night, Jerome, but uh, it was pretty bad. Uh, he struck out four times. But the funny part is, he struck out four times, but he did it on twelve pitches. <laughs> and uh, get this: all four of his at bats, he he struck out swinging. Uh, basically, uh, his pitches pitch count went something like this: fastball, slider, 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 curve, 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 slider, 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 and that equals four strikeouts. Um, and the ultimate slap in the face to make a, a day even worse for. Um, Lori, uh, he ended the game by striking out, uh, being the last out of the game. Uh, and the folly police struck him out. So Lori was asked at the end of the end of the night, well, what his opinion was on the game. He just basically said, it's just one of those nights. <laughs> uh, I imagine the athletes are hoping that this is a trend for the year, uh, because Billy Bean is definitely not the, like a guy who's not afraid to trade somebody out. So, 
they might seek getting rid of him if he were to be um, the guy they weren't expecting him to be. Uh, good news is I looked at Laurie's stats, and he has never struck out over 86 times in a season. So that's actually a good sign that he's probably not going to continue doing that. So um, they actually have a title for this uh, when somebody strikes out four times in a game. They don't have a title for striking out on 12 pitches, though, in four times. But it's called a golden sombrero. <laughs> And I guess it's been a term of baseball for a while. I did not know that. I, that's something I learned today. Um, hey, well, they say you learn something new every day, Justin. Yeah, it's probably going to be chalked up as one of those, you know, one of those nights. But let's be honest, it was a really terrible night for Barry Lori. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was watching earlier a little bit of this Texas Oakland game, and Barry Lori, I mean, it, it seems to have just gotten worse for him. He hit a double. And he got thrown out trying to stretch it into a triple in his first at bat of the game tonight. So I'm not sure what he's done at that point, but it seems like it's just not his week. <laughs> yeah, well, at least he got a hit. I mean, that's the, <laughs> you know, build his confidence back up real quick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he looked pretty good hitting the double, but he he, he didn't look too good um, trying to stretch that into a triple. Now, my random weirdness is how how the hell do you go from being a Stanley Cup contender you need to win every game you have left to make the playoffs. You get a game against arguably one of the worst teams in the NHL. You don't play. You don't play your starting goalie because you automatically assume, "Oh, we're the LA Kings. We're going to win the game." Then you just go and you get your ass kicked by the Edmonton Oilers. How does this happen? I mean, the LA Kings—they go out there, they lose four to two last night in Edmonton. They look completely listless. You don't even play Jonathan Quick a goalie who's won you two Stanley Cups. I mean, that's got to be complete brashness and boldness, on, on, in my opinion. I mean, Edmonton's an NHL team, too. They were going to show up and play. And this this is how you disrespect the game. Man, you deserve to get a beat down. Uh, I'm a big L.A. Kings fan myself. But when you start disrespecting the game like that, you don't even – you just think you're going to show up and win. You get what you deserve. So, I mean, sit your asses at home, miss the playoffs, I mean, you probably need to rest anyway for winning two after winning two cups in three seasons. So, you got anything you want to piggyback on to that with Josh? Again? Well, the piggyback on that was that they were they were one game back on Winnipeg, so they had an extra game on Winnipeg, and they just last night, like you said, they threw it away um, because they they had seventy they had seventy nine to Winnipeg's eighty, and they were only down. If they had one last night, they would have tied Winnipeg for the last spot. Um, so it doesn't make sense, the logic behind what they did last night. Uh, I think they're eliminated, to be honest with you. I don't think they're, I don't think they're making, they're not making the playoffs now. So, um, that's it. Yeah. Uh, so Winnipeg and Minnesota are probably going to the playoffs for the West and, and your boys are going to be watching. Weird thing is, though, about this, though, Josh, the L.A. Kings still have an outside shot at this. They, they, they have a game with Calgary tomorrow. If they defeat Calgary in the regulation, and then all, all they would need is enough is for Winnipeg to defeat Calgary again and then beat San Jose the last day of the season, then they'll be in. Pretty much their wild card hopes are over, but the Kings do still have kind of a 50-50 shot of overtaking Calgary for that last playoff spot. So, Well, I think the Kings – I think I think the big game for actually is one they're not playing. I think Thursday against Colorado for Winnipeg is the big game. If, if Winnipeg wins that, I don't know who has a tiebreaker between the uh, Los Angeles uh, Kings, not Dodgers, and if say Calgary beats Winnipeg and Los Angeles wins out and they're tied at the end of the year, I don't know who has a tiebreaker. So I know. Calgary has a better it has has the same amount of points than um, Los Angeles at any point and Calgary makes the playoffs, LA is out. So they need Winnipeg to defeat Calgary and they need to defeat Calgary themselves in regulation. So okay. Kings have pretty yeah. much backed themselves into a corner and it'll be interesting to see if they can get themselves out. This was a great show tonight, Josh. And like we do every week, it was a great time, man. I enjoyed hanging out with you, talking sports and it's going to be great to have that draft show next week. It's going to be real fun, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, same here. Definitely am. Uh, I had a fun show tonight. Uh, um, well, yeah, so uh, I can't wait to do the next week's show. I don't know. Where, uh, I can't wait for the draft. It's going to be fun. 
Um, so I hope everyone listens on the 16th at 8.30. Am I correct on that? Yeah. So You are correct. All right. So, yeah, uh, great show tonight, Carol. Uh, great show, like always, Josh. And and for for Josh Matson and myself, I'm my little brother's big brother. And take care, America. We love you. See you next week. Rome gone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.